Welcome to the Pop Bonsai Podcast, where we surf the waves of pop culture, bringing you the best sets, Jay, the best sets That's from good. pop culture history. That's right. My name is Travis Ratz, and with me is my co-host, Jay Castro. Uh, on the Pop Bonsai Podcast, like I said, we are exploring pop culture, but we're doing it in kind of a way that we are enjoying, where we are taking different mediums of pop culture, and we're trying to find through lines through these mediums. So that's what we're going to be doing today. Today, what we're going to be exploring is called our vinyl set, Jay. What's going on with our vinyl set? Um, Well, this week, we're going to be talking about uh, the movie Ghost World that came out in 2001. We're going to be talking about um, the White Stripes LP, White Blood Cells, and we're going to be talking about vinyl. Nice. Um, you you buy vinyl, I buy vinyl, and you we're just going to be talking vinyl, about. I buy vinyl. <laughs> hey, <laughs> and so uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about our love of it, our sometimes our distaste of it. it it's the pretension that yeah. surrounds it. Yeah. I'm, ex- I'm excited about this set, but I'm also excited about the follow-up set called Linoleum, where we listen to NoFX's Linoleum, and then we talk about Mr. Clean products. So <laughs> I think that's going to be exciting. It's going to be an exciting follow-up. Yeah. yeah first, thing, first thing I want to say about Vinyl J Maybe the word I misspell the most in life is the word vinyl. Like every time I'll, I'll, I'll type out, and I'm an English teacher, and I'll start typing out the word like vinyl records or vinyl, and I will put the letters in any order than they are supposed to go at first. For some reason, <laughs> this word just hangs over me like an albatross where I'm just like, I can't get it right the first time. You know, there's always. I think everybody has that that little bit of like kryptonite in in their vocabulary, and you know, in their spelling brain, in part of their brain. I I know you're an English teacher, and so whenever I I message you, I always like check, and I'm like, oh, that looks horrible. That look, you know, that's so. I the last message I sent you, yes, it was supposed to be the some time was supposed to be two words. <laughs> oh, no. I, I actually got, like, oh. I got called out on that. Uh, I was texting, and the person I was texting with last night, I don't know them too long, maybe like a month, and they were like, oh, Mr. English teacher, um, you used the wrong form of peace. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's an obvious one. But at the same time, I go, my thumbs, no, no, no grammar rules. My thumbs, it's a whole different ball game, right? Like, I don't, I'm, and, I, and I was like, that's a dangerous game to start playing, woman. I go, if we want to start correcting grammar, it's a dangerous game to start playing. One, because I'm just not going to want to text you. Because if, <laughs> if I'm not in like the sharpest state of mind, I'm like going back through and editing my stuff. I go, this is not going to happen. Well, plus, you know, you get you get into that. Plus, you add uh, autocorrect yep. in the mix and, you know, and tiny little screens and, yep. you know... 
errors are bound to happen. But I I do not ever, ever you know judge uh, other people's grammar. I as if if I get the gist of the communication, I'm fine. Yeah, you know I I'm I'm self conscious about it. But I don't, you know, I don't judge other people. I get What's a little bit. Point? I get a little bit annoyed with text people who use a lot of acronyms like FLM or you know, like LOL is fine. But some of them, I'm like, how am I supposed to know what this means? And then I have to open up <laughs> Google Chrome and I have to put it in. And then put I'm in like, the Urban oh, Dictionary. What does this mean? <laughs> oh fuck my life, you know? Like oh, I'm like oh, couldn't just say that, you know? It's just like re- it's like reading. You know, uh, uh, I live in Japan around these military bases, and so acronyms are everywhere. So it just feels like work at this point, where I'm just like having to go in there and be like, uh, OPP. Uh, oh, other people's pussy. Gotcha. Thanks, <laughs> Captain. <laughs> no, I I work with with military um, blueprints and, and such, and yeah, it's it's all. It's all acronyms. Yeah. I, I get so used to it. It's, you know. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. But we'll digress. Let's talk about some vinyl today, Jay. Where do you want to begin our, our vinyl conversation? I am, I am covered. I've just left the beach just drenched in vinyl. Just drenched in vinyl. <laughs> I have to get this out of me. I, I, I got to rinse off before I get in my car. But uh, where do you want to start off today? Um, let's start off with Ghost World. Ghost world. Ghost world. <laughs> All right. So you, you, you kind of uh, put together the set for us um, when we were talking about vinyl. And, you know, you, you kind of used ghost world as, like a, as an entree to, be, to begin with here. So what is, what's, what's your experience with this movie? Like, did you, did you see when it, when it came out? I, I did. Um, and I... I I saw it in the theaters or, or the theater. I think it was only playing in like one theater here in, in Camelback, Phoenix. Arts, arts, <laughs> yeah. Um, Camelview. Camelview. Yeah. Arts Zone. yeah. <laughs> that was in 2001. Uh, this came out, correct? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was a lot more, um, I don't know. I, I kind of identified with with this kind of movie as opposed to like, uh, um, you know, some of the more uh, a popular high school movies. Like uh, I don't know. I don't even remember. Like Ten Things I Hate About You. Yeah, or, can't hardly or wait. Something yeah, to, yeah. You know, because this, you know, just just chock full of of cynicism. I was back then and yeah. it was just kind of, it's kind of refreshing to be like, Oh, well, I'm not the only one. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. It was in 2001. Like we said here, then I want to get into what you're talking about, about that cynicism, uh, directed by Terry Zwigoff, I believe is how you pronounce that name. And of course uh-huh. based on the ghost world comic by Daniel, uh, Klaus, uh, who was also yeah. one of the credit writers on the movie, starring Steve Buscemi, Thor Birch, Scarlett Johansson, and uh, some more. But those are those are the big three. Yeah. So yeah, this came out. Oh, I was. This was like going into my senior year of high school. I was definitely still a teenager, um, and I hadn't read the Ghost World comic at that point. It wasn't. I wasn't reading those type of comics at that at that time. Yeah. Uh, I did go back and, and read the Ghost World comic later. But I remember seeing the trailers to it, and like you said, there was this 
indie kind of off-center vibe about it. The pessimism of the characters and the dialogue came through. Watching it now, it, it's the characters themselves seem almost more place in a Wes Anderson uh, movie, <laughs> you know. But before yeah. we, this was before Wes Anderson had kind of congealed his kind of humor and uh, that dark humor uh, 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 of that. So um, when you saw the movie when you're younger and you just recently watched it, what struck you uh, on this watch? What was some of the standout things about this film now watching it as an adult more as a solidified adult than when you were, you know, in later teens, early 20s? Well, the thing that 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 I guess that stood out the most, and I, I don't know if this is along what you, you were meaning to ask, but just the way they talked, mm. I, I I don't think I, I think that was very Gen X, mm. <laughs> you know. Um, I don't think you know. What listening, what do you mean by that? Yeah, what do you mean by the way they talk? Well, like- they were just they're very abrasive Mm -hmm. with their language and they were they used a lot of uh words for like shock value and yeah you know and and, you know you know i have um a 16 year old and and an 18 year old and you know i hear them they're them and their friends and i mean i guess that's not really representative of the entire teenage population but i just don't think young people just talk like that anymore. I think, um, which is a good in a sense, but I think, you know, there's, there's that whole thing about, you know, oh, we need to be inclusive. We need to be sensitive in our language. We can't be hurtful. We can't, you know, it, which is good and bad, I guess, in right. some aspects. You're, I never but thought it, of that as a Generation X thing, but now you said that, like, I'm thinking about other Gen X directors like Richard Linkletter, Kevin Smith, uh, and how their characters talk in their in their films, uh, and oh, even yeah. Gen X writers uh, like Alex Garland, and it is, it is, there is this kind of uh, aggressive uh, intellectualism, almost, uh, where it's we're we're going to be kind of harsh and cruel, but we're going to do this in a highly academic way to kind of maybe take some of the sting off it or to justify our brutality of our words. I don't know if that makes sense. The brutality of our words. It's like an asshole. It's because I've been listening to vinyl all week, guys. Now I just sound <laughs> pretentious on everything. <laughs> well, you know, you take – it's funny you said that, but you take slacker, you take clerks, you take this, and – just the way all those characters, you know, the way they speak, it's it's all so similar. Yeah. I mean, some of those characters you can even interchange in some of these movies. Yeah, yeah. Now, have you, you know? have you? Uh, this wasn't part of our set, but have you have you read Ghost World the comic? Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of especially the early part of the movie, it's ripped. The dialogue is ripped directly from the book, you know, and I think that's because the writer of the comic is also one of the writers in the film. 
But yeah, that I mean, it was funny just rereading over some of that again, just how many of those scenes and that language was was pulled from there. And it does feel very oh, yeah. kind of indie comic, even in the film that that dialogue translates as well. Not only is it Gen X, but it's also kind of like zine language. This whole movie reeks <laughs> of zines. And I think that's a part of vinyl culture in general is the, the zine feel, the outsider uh, aspect to it. Yeah, coffee houses and zines. Coffee houses and zines. That's where I got our first two sets have been diners and vinyl, man. You could tell what kind of vibe we're in lately. Yeah, I gotta be. I gotta be careful not to be really pretentious after after <laughs> two weeks of consuming diners and vinyl. Um, I I will say on my on this watch through here, you know, I, I was surprised. You know, when I think of Ghost World and you think of the advertising for the film, I mean that that. That poster, that cover is classic, right? With Scarlett Johansson, Thor Birch, and their and their best kind of post mod uh, alternative like Daria gear um, yeah. <laughs> on the cover, and uh, yeah, that's why in my head I'm like, this is like Wes Anderson fucked to Daria, and they had a butt baby or something like that. <laughs> um, but uh, I I think of the movie as a two hander, like a two parter. Like a, like Thor Birch and Scarlett Johansson, but in the rewatch of it, you really realize how much this is really Thor Birch carrying it, and Steve Buscemi actually, you know, yeah, the, whose definitely. character isn't even in the comic book, um, right? Uh, he is, you know, in a small sense, but not nearly yeah, the magnitude. He plays like the Bob Skeets character in the comic. He's kind of like a part of him is in there, but uh, was it Seymour? He plays Seymour in in the yeah. film, and. and I, yeah, I wonder if they needed, they want, I mean, nothing grounds a movie in the indie world more in 2001 than getting like Steve Buscemi in it. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, uh, it is kind of like, oh, this is, this is our leading man. <laughs> like, if you're going to make Steve Buscemi your leading man, you know that you're in for this kind of off kilter, off kilter film on here. Yeah, I think. Um, in in a way, they needed a, a center, and they needed a, a something a little bit more cohesive because the the comic was so fragmented. You know, there wasn't really like a, a clear direction. Line, yeah, yeah, and, and and with the movie, they definitely achieved that with with Thor Birch. And and Steve Buscemi's character, um, their their progression, their their friendship. Um, so I I actually was really impressed. I, I had never read the book before watching the movie either. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I saw the movie first, but after reading the book, I was really impressed at how well they kept the the atmosphere and like the the whole. Um, I guess just the whole package, the whole vibe of of the comic it's was raw. so. The, the comic's raw, and the film still captures that raw. It's yeah, still, even very watching well. it, even watching it now, it still feels unfinished. Um, uh, not only from the like the you know, like you know, you can go in there. I'm sure we'll talk about the end here in a little bit, but you can go in there and look at these characters' arcs, and you're like, well, I guess. But if you just if you added a little bit to that, I think we could have really put a button on that character or or that relationship or uh, that type of thing. And and in some ways, the comic never set out to be anything 
specific. And the movie doesn't really set out to be anything specific. It more finds its place for me in a culture of of character, a character culture, like a as well let's talk about that because i think we're this is going to get us into talking about kind of this vinyl culture and i think maybe one of the reasons you picked this for the set uh i mean because if you want to you know talk stats on ghost world i'm sure there's plenty of podcasts out there who who break it down scene by scene and do that that's not us baby we're talking about big ideas here on the pop bonsai podcast (laughs) um by the way i love saying pop bonsai i'm glad i got a uh a pop filter here because there's a lot of cues yeah um and so these these characters, these girls, are a specific type of person. And Steve Buscemi as well. These are collectors, right? They're misfits. They're contentious. Like, they, 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 they hang their personality on being contentious. And they, they consume yet hate pop culture with a this weird degree on here. Did you notice anything about these characters? What do you think about these characters' world? Like, who these girls are? Were you like, oh, I know those girls when you first saw it or when you rewatched it? Well, kind of. I mean, there were definitely people like this that I knew. Um, I... So on on the second... Wa- oh, not second, but recent rewatch... Um, I noticed that Scarlett Johansson's character kind of like wanted to break away from that. Yep. You know, she kind of was like, you know what? Enough of this. I, you know, and she kind of wanted to, you know, be normal and, mm-hmm. and have a, a reg start having a regular life and have a job. And, and Thor Birch's character, Enid wanted like nothing to do with that. Right. And um, I think a lot of it had to do with just, um, here's the thing. So uh, on a personal experience, I, I started realizing that it wasn't the world's job to let me in. It was, it was my job to, to let the world around me in and, and tolerate it. You know, and, and the second I, I started thinking that, my you know, my whole life kind of started changing. Because um, I, I had this this level of of cynicism and hatred, you know, for for anyone that didn't that wasn't me, mm-hmm. <laughs> that didn't like the same things as me, that didn't, you know, and and then I realized, what am I doing? You know, what what I it's it's I'm it's like I'm living in a prison of my own making mm-hmm. and it was, your it was so alien. You're sitting yourself on the bench. Yeah. And it, and it was, I was just alienating myself from And it was just getting so bad and worse and worse. And then I started realizing, I'm like, you know, why should I rely on everyone else to understand me? Mm-hmm. You know, that that's, that's ridiculous. So I kind of think that that's where, where the whole, the whole, uh, uh, conflict the inner conflict with with enid was that she just wanted to be accepted mm-hmm. somewhere and and she never found it you know um yeah i thought that's a fantastic way to put it i really like the idea of of it's not the, the world's job to see me you know 
the ghost world's job to see me. Um, <laughs> but I also like you. You said you know about kind of putting yourself aside and 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 building this bitterness. And I think that's, I think these characters, and to a certain extent, parts of me too, especially at that age, which I think is common in the age that these girls are, is. Um, the sense of almost making it hard for the world to understand you through the things you like, right? It's like, I'm going to like these things because you're not going to be able to put me in a box. I'm going to listen to weird Bali Indian music from the 1950s yeah. because you've never seen that before. So you can't put me in your box. Like, you know, you know uh, you're, you're going to have to come to me for this. I'm not coming to you for this, right? Or I'm going to, uh, you know... in. I you know I I teach, uh, and the the modern version of this is like cat girl ears, like it's the it's manga and anime girls are very much fit into this type of these two girls. If this movie was made today, I feel like these two girls would be into anime and manga, like <laughs> you know, like that's that's how a lot of these young teenage girls today they all are these kind of outsidery girls. They'll They'll wear things like almost cartoon themselves up with these, you know, and just and say weird things. And the, their papers or stories are always interesting to read because they're always just off the wall for the sake of being off the wall. And if you try <laughs> to understand them, they, they butt against it. And if you accept it, they almost butt against it. If I'm like they'll write up like will purposely write up a, a weird poem and I'll go into it. And I'll be like, actually, I really like this imagery here. I think you have something here. And they'll be like, well, you don't get it. And I'm like, I'm complimenting it. <laughs> uh, you know, like I'm saying, like you got something here, like you don't get it, and I'm like, what? Do, what do you? Okay, it sucks. They're like, yes, <laughs> feed me more. Feed, yes, see more. I'm hungry. <laughs> feed me, see more. <laughs> yeah, and I think, that, yeah. I think that is, I think that is part of that 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 collector's mindset. It's the Steve Buscemi character. It's the is Enid the the Thor Birch character. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, and those two characters, that's why they gravitate towards each other, because there is this rejection of the outside world. You, what do you, why do you think that is? Why do you think people, well, we, well, let's call them these misfit characters or these myth, misfit people when we take it into our real world. Why or how are they using pop culture to distance themselves, to... How are they using pop culture, either in this film or in your experience with these type of characters? Um, well, I don't know. I think there's a couple of different, uh, a couple of different camps I've noticed. Number one, I think there's some people that use it as just a, a tool of defiance, or uh, almost. Well, you know what? Maybe even like a like a defense mechanism where um, maybe they don't feel confident enough to, you know, to, to be in the pack. So they kind of like reject it before they get a chance to reject them. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in my, in, it's in hard, yeah, my, it's, it's hard to lose if you never play your hand. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, but I think there's some people that genuinely, um, don't like it and don't see the appeal of it and find it, you know, like, like they were saying in this in, in ghost world, uh, fake 
you know, or, you know, really just contrived nonsense and it had no soul and no meaning behind any of it, um, which they, you know, they gravitate more towards, you know, blues and, and, and older films, which have, you know, all those things. Mm-hmm. There's, there's an interesting, you know, that kind of, that touches on this in the, in there's a kind of a side plot in this movie, the art teacher, right? I forgot who plays the art teacher, but she's so great. She's in so much. Yeah. Time, but she's fantastic in this. Um, and um, so um, Enid's character is taking this post high school kind of community college art class. Uh, and the art teacher there's several scenes where the art teacher celebrates this other girl who could tell was just kind of like this, you know, like in a mainstream girl who's trying to make this outsider art. And so she comes in with something and then she attaches meaning to it. So it's not the actual quality of the art. It's the meaning that you attach to the art that really makes it art. Uh, and yeah. then Enid's character takes something that she goes, okay, I'll take that. And then it's not art until she can justify why it's art. It has to be this kind of like deep political thing um did that did that connect like what what, what was your thought on on, on that that story like because i think that kind of goes with when we, when people try to define art or how that works i thought it was really interesting because yeah like like the the one girl that she was kind of jealous of her the the, the things that she would present were kind of clumsy yeah. And obvious. Yeah, that's what and, it was. And, they weren't bad though. Like I, I interrupt you here. No. I, I saw that. I'm like, oh, that's a coat hanger and abortions. That's kind of like cool. <laughs> and then the teacup with the tampon in it. I'm like, yeah, those are I'm like, yeah, those are things that you would see in a museum or like some weird art exhibit, but they're so on the nose that it just makes right. uh Enid's character like, <laughs> ugh, get yeah. Yeah, go ahead. And, and so, yeah, and so here's someone like Enid that actually, you know, probably does have something to say and probably could, you know, if she would apply herself, could probably come up with something r- really interesting. Um, but, f- you know, for whatever reason in that arena chooses to defy um, until she gets that poster <laughs> right well it's almost like the art teacher and the art teacher seems like i almost got like a villain at first not a villain classic villain but like someone who is is an obstacle for the character getting yeah. what they want but at the same time there is an important lesson in there enid is she has the talent in her hands to be a great artist she's doing those kind of crumb like i actually the people who i when a little research and i guess the all the sketches in there are from like uh crumbs family like his daughter and stuff like that they actually were the ones who did the 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 sketches in the in the film um but the art teacher in there is at one time she comes in she has a sketch and it's like who is that it's like oh it's like don knotts and you're like what what like this is you're making your your art so small (laughs) and just for you which in a sense we should create art for us and then like like fuck them if they don't get the joke right uh i think jack white which we're gonna talk about in a a second would would agree with that but at the same time the art teacher is trying to get her like you have a talent and i want you to do this and in order to do this you have to show some understanding of the world beyond yourself 
if you want others to, I don't know, gravitate towards it. But then I'm like, do I believe in that? I don't know. I think maybe the audience finds you. Yeah. You know that. And I think she wants her to, to kind of put a little bit of herself out there. Yeah. You know, I mean, painting of Don Knotts is, you know, it's pretty safe. It's not, it's not letting anybody in on anything, you know, but yeah, you know, like like a personal belief, uh, you know, even even like uh, showing some vulnerability or, or you know something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very, but I love that stuff too. Like I love like a sweet print of Don not hanging in your you know apartment or something oh, yeah, like that. Dude. You know, I mean, pop art is yeah, you know, yeah. So what, that's but, what yeah. she kind of is. Is like a pop artist, really. Yeah, yeah. You know, even when she has like the, bat, the Batman, you know, cowl. You know, she's kind of, <laughs> she dresses herself and she goes at like one day. Uh, I really connected with how like some days she dress herself up like, like it's my punk day. Like in the comic, they make more of a, a big deal of her like having the punk day and, and stuff like that. But like some days you're, it's like you're almost treating yourself as like a walking art exhibit. Like we did a podcast uh, uh, about a month ago where we watched like 1977, this documentary on on punk rock. And I remember watching it and I remember like the next couple of days, my outfits kind of reflected that a little bit. I was wearing like the the kind of obscure pop culture T-shirt with kind of like a denim jacket and then like some badges on it. And I'm like, look at me getting all punked out again. But that kind of fades and then you figure <laughs> something else out again. I want to talk about, before we move on talking about uh, vinyl, I want to talk to you about this Steve Buscemi character um, in here. Watching it now, how much of yourself do you see in Steve Buscemi's character? Uh, let's just say that if just, if, if I would have taken the other road in the fork, I could have easily have become the Steve Buscemi. It character. sounds like from what you were talking about a few minutes ago when you were like, I'm like, I was like, oh man, if Jay was in my class in high school, he'd be the kid. I'm like, come on, buddy. It's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, um, I could have been there. Yeah. Um, and I forgot. Oh man. Yeah. It, it was... we're, going, we're walking Jay back to a dark place. He's like, oh man, I'm no, sorry. I'm, no, I'm sorry about... to anyone that I sat next to on a bus. <laughs> You know, I just um, I relate to that quite a bit, especially that that whole part in the bar when he's just sitting there and he's trying to just listen to this this blues, this old blues guitarist, and like the sports bar has the TV on, and mm. you know everybody's still like partying and totally ignoring him, and and you know he, he's the only one trying to pay attention to it. And then the, you know, the, the blues hammer band comes in and, and everybody starts jumping up and down and That's knocking great his scene. ears like, over. Oh, God, if you like blues, you're going to love this band. And then uh, <laughs> a bad roadhouse band. Yeah. Like, that ZZ, part was like, like a, a cover band of a cover band of ZZ Top. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think that, that exact same, I think I've been in that exact same scenario before. Let me tell you something about a sharp dress, man. Yeah, I, 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 
I, I found myself being like, man, I, I find this, like, the way he had his house set up, I'm like, man, I, I love to live in that house. I love his whole aesthetic, and it just seemed like this really comforting, and that's the problem for the character, it was just too comforting of a shell for him. But where he lost me, where I was like, okay, other than, like, the kind of statutory vibes the guy was giving out, but Steve Buscemi always kind of gives out those vibes, you know? <laughs> um, but is there's one part where he picks up the old-timey phone and he starts dialing oh, the old-timey yeah, phone. Yeah, yeah. And I go, yo, I can't get on board with this, bro. I got Then I, I, I immediately went aggro like frat boy. I'm like, yo, bro, I can't get on board with this, son. <laughs> I'm like, you got that, that phone? No, that phone was gay, son. No, <laughs> I love the phone. I would love to have one of those, but I know that just that one accent would push me over the edge of being an asshole. Yeah, it, it, there's a point to where you, you you know you sacrifice convenience for that image. Yes, well you know, said. Because well said. I, I look at yeah, I saw him and I'm like, that's such a huge pain. Yeah, you're just you're that thing. That phone isn't just because you, it's it's a statement. Yeah. You know, and For those and, you, you know. Or, or I'm trying to remember, it's that old rotary phone on there. It's a statement to it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like people who who have like the old like 2000 flip phones, you know, and you're like, well, either not have a phone or get the convenient phone because you, at this point, like you're using it as a as a pager. Right. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, no, it does everything that your phone can do. I'm like, yeah, but I mean, that's, that's <laughs> you're, you're using that for image at this point. Like, that's a conversation piece for you. That's not that's not the functionality of what we're looking for here. Yeah. Yeah. It's like those guys you see, like in Tempe, uh, riding unicycles. And it just looks like it's they're struggling every second just to stay on that thing. Yeah. I'm like. It, it's yeah. so much easier to walk. Just yeah. walk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go do some Kegels if you want to, if you want to tighten shit up, you know, there's no sense in squeezing your thighs around a unicycle for four hours in 115 degree heat. And it seems so difficult just to keep that thing up. I'm like, yeah. what's the point? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I get like that too. We're, we're both kind of rocking like, uh, mine's patchy, but like, like mustaches and beards. And I always have to like, check myself cause I've, I've done, done just the mustache before, but then when I cut it, I'm like, man, this really changes your whole look. And like, I'm not like built or masculine enough to pull off the, I'm growing the mustache because it's a man thing to do. It just comes <laughs> off as, as like pretentious or like, um, uh, like hipstery, you know? And and that's what I kind of want to talk about as we move into talking about vinyl uh, is uh, kind of starting off on like, is it OK to like vinyl? What are the benefits of liking vinyl? And we kind of chose to listen to some music this week. And we're going to start off with talking about the White Stripes uh, album, White Blood Cells in particular, but then Jack White as a a vinyl aficionado and third man records as this engine for keeping this vinyl industry open together. Right. So you chose white blood cells to go along with ghost world. What was your uh, reasoning behind that Jay? Okay. For two reasons. Number one, um, it came out within days of ghost world. It came out in, in July. It also came out in July of 2001, at, you know, like ghost world. Number two, are the white stripes blues hammer? 
<laughs> the White Stripes might be Blues Hammer in the movie Ghost World. <laughs> and that's what I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Because I think to a lot of people, they are. Okay, okay. I, I, think, I, I think I know what you're, what you're saying here. Uh, did the White Stripes develop their sound around an image, an antique image of of what me, what a vinyl culture was? Is that kind of what you're you're stepping in here? Yeah. Am I smelling what you're stepping in here, Jay? Or is that just my moldy yeah. leather jacket? <laughs> <laughs> Please see first episode footnotes. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. You know what? I didn't, I didn't even think about that because I've been listening to the, the White Stripes this week. I've been listening to some Jack White interviews, so I don't want that to be the case. Uh, <laughs> I don't think Jack White would admit that's the case, but when you look at that era, and and I don't think White Blood Cells was their first album. I think there was a couple before it. Um, there were two, and they were two cer- more, and they were certainly playing around Detroit for the the better part of that '90s decade. I want to say probably, uh, mm-hmm. or at least the mid to, to late '90s. Um, but with that being said, that whole kind of counterculture with like movies like Dollhouse and, and stuff like that, and this kind of that's where the seeds of this kind of vinyl revival kind of comes out in. And we're in then the early two thousands, late nineties with movies like High Fidelity and, and Ghost World. They are kind of bringing that in. So if you're looking to break through as a band and you don't have a gimmick. Attaching yourself to a vinyl sound wouldn't be a bad way to go. Right, right. I mean, they, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, well, I don't, you know, I don't like the White Stripes. All they do is rip off blues, old blues songs, you know, and, and like, like Blues Hammer, they take, you know, blues and then they, they just kind of crank it up a few notches and package it. And they sold it, and and it worked. People bought it all over. Yeah, I it's I, I remember when this album came out. Like not the day I didn't. I wasn't like Ghost World's out and the White Stripes Black Blood. <laughs> 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 uh, but um, I remember this was this is where the album that turned me on to them. Like I wasn't listening to the White mm-hmm. Stripes. This is kind of what brought them at least into the mainstream fold for me and then through college what i I call them like the peppermint albums like those all those kind of peppermint cover albums like elephant and and uh uh, ride with satan or satan rides with me or something like that uh get behind satan those i mean i listened to over and over again i remember just walking the classes in college and just having my cd player just listening to because those are all killer no filler in those albums you can just boom 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 you don't have to worry about changing the disc but I will say that it runs at risk until what we're talking about here. We we both watched this little mini doc called um, uh, "It's with Something Savage." One of the guys from Miss, Miss, MythBusters. If you type in YouTube, uh, was it Adam? Adam Savage, Third Man Records, where Adam Savage goes to uh, Third Man Records and and like in twenty seven minutes goes through the process of creating a vinyl at Third Man Records. And through that, you really see that for Jack White, this isn't a gimmick. This is like vinyl and preserving this and this sound and this authenticity is so much of who he is that any band he started, that would have come through. Whether that was their intention or not, you could tell this guy is so steeped in 
the engineering of sound and the authenticity of sound that it was always going to be on the forefront of whatever band he was in. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and also in listening to, to some, or watching some of his, the interviews with him, he's also very sensitive to uh, the art form. He's not some guy that just, you know, uh, went through and, and ex- took it and exploited it for monetary gain. He, you can tell he, he, he appreciates it. Um, and well, that's where I think Jack that White, differs. You are a sensitive boy. You're so sensitive. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, yeah, he appreciates it. In one uh, interview I was watching with Conan, he talks about he likes a song if he can't figure out how they did something. He, where he wasn't like, oh, they turned the reverb up here, they compressed it here, oh, they added an echo effect here, oh, or they doubled this line here. He likes it when, because he says, when I stop recognizing how they did it, that's a sign that I'm enjoying it. When, mm-hmm. I, when, I, when I stop pulling back the curtain and it's just washing over me, and I'm not like, that's that, that's that. And I thought that was a really, I think that applies to a lot of art, is... Uh, especially when you become like a real connoisseur of it. Like we, we, we both read a lot of comics and there are certain comic books when they, they follow this kind of set rhythm of comics. You're like, oh, I see what you're doing here and here's a turn here and here's this. But it's, it's like anything you love. It's once you've studied it so much, it's harder to love it in some ways because you see how Definitely. it works, you know? Definitely. And, and like you said, the more you listen to, you know, to music, the more you listen to uh, or to watch movies or whatever. Yeah, you start to recognize patterns. You know, everybody says, oh, you know, critics are so hard to please and crit- they're so pretentious. But the thing that people don't understand is critics watch and listen to 20 times more of that art form than the typical consumer. Yeah. And they start to recognize the cliches and the tropes. And before, a lot of times before the movie even unfolds, you go, yeah, okay, well this, here we go with this, you know, and, and, and that's why it's, it's so much harder to, to please critics because they're immersed in it so much more. Mm Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about like some of the tracks on this album. Before we do that, I want to ask you, after watching the tour of Third Man Records, where they kind of break down how a vinyl gets made and they get to show the machines and all that stuff like that, what aspect of the vinyl-making process in that doc, or just now that you have that in your head, stood out to you as like maybe the most ingenious or the most like, did you have like any aha moments or anything where you're like, that's really cool, or like, I didn't know that? Um, I, I didn't know that they actually had some poor schlub sitting there listening to records. Quality control. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That sucks. They talk about, for those of you who watch, and I do highly recommend it, it's like 27 minutes of your life. It's, and it's like an educational thing. Um, but yeah, at the end of it, for quality control, because it is this tangible thing, right? It is something that is, there is cut into. It has grooves. Things can go awry. Is everything. They have to pull off every 30th album or so. I think 25, every 25th. Yeah, 25th album, yeah. Um, uh, they call, should call it 25th Man Records then. I don't know what this third name comes <laughs> from. But, uh, and someone has to sit and listen to it for quality control. And they talk about 
Adam Savage is really concerned about the guy listening. How he's like, do you guys trade off? What if the guy hates the album? And they're like, yeah, we we kind of switch it on and off, but that's yeah, basically, yeah, we don't care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't do that, man. Yeah. I could not do that. Yeah, I, I would just start to just it would just start why become noise, you yeah. know, and I just tune it out eventually. Jack White noise. Yeah. <laughs> That's a whole different story. <laughs> yeah. Like you know, I'm having a hard time falling asleep. Sometimes I'll just, you know, uh, you know, open my favorite uh uh Jack White noise app and I'll uh just kind of fall asleep to it. Uh, my my favorite part of the documentary and I thought this was a brilliant way, and you could tell that Jack White has done this before, is when he's trying to explain to people the difference between digital and vinyl, even when it comes to like CDs or, or analog uh, like tapes and stuff like that. And he takes a pen and he says, imagine there's a piece of paper here, and I'm doing a vinyl record, and I drop my... This is horrible on a podcast, but I'm going to try to describe it. He drops his pen on the paper, and he starts doing circles. He goes, I'm recording the music. I'm never lifting up my pen. It's one long audio line that's grooved into a, a tape, or in this case, vinyl. And he goes, now, takes the pen, he goes, for digital, imagine me doing those same circles except for every part of the line I have to lift up and press down. Those are the zeros and ones. So the, you know, that audio sound quality we're talking about comes in with digital music actually has spaces. These millions and billions of tiny spaces in between those ones and zeros where like audio heads can hear the difference. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I can hear the difference. I can't. But but there is I, I you know there are some records that I'll put on and they just sound better on vinyl. Yeah. Um you know with the kind of record you know with with rock and roll records, punk records, um geez, even like like old who 70s who's next era who records um you know that are meant to have some some power you know uh behind them just sound that much they have that has that much more on vinyl you know when you when when something gets overproduced and it gets you know mixed and it gets digitized it it does it does lose some of its ferocity right yeah and i think this i bet subconsciously your mind does pick up on those spaces somehow i mean the brain is this crazy powerful engine in your in your head and even though we can't i mean shoot most of my music around 2000 was ripped from napster man like the lowest shittiest quality music ever <laughs> and so i'm just like i just want the song bro uh i wasn't concerned about getting it at its its most purest form with the least interference possible uh which a lot of people like vinyl for but i'm sure some consciously on a level that that is a a a major thing you know uh, the way we listen to it so uh, we're going to talk about yeah. like some of our, our vinyl listening experiences this week but let's talk about the white blood cells album itself some of these tracks on here and, and what we like i, I want to start off just because my my first comment comes with this first track uh here on the album and the way this album opens up, if you have never heard the White Stripes before, which a lot of mainstream culture hadn't until this album came out, 
and you put yeah. this album on, the first 15 seconds of that first song, which my, I'm trying to remember the song here. I'm putting it up here. Where's my track list? Uh, Dead Leaves on the Dirty Ground, right? And mm-hmm. it, it starts with this squeal, right? And then it comes in with that fuzz. That I, I was listening to it this time because I listened to it a couple of times this week. And right there, the album is almost daring you not to listen to it. <laughs> right? And it comes in because the rest of the song, it, it, the, the song finds its groove. It's like, it drops a little smoother, a little heavier. Dead leaves on the dead end ground. You know, but that you know kind of like that feedback almost style it's fuzzy it's almost like because i remember i had it cranked when i first put the album on and i was like ah it's too much it's too loud it's too ah, it hurts my ears until it settles into it and i was like i wonder if that's done on purpose i wonder if jack white's like i dare you to listen to this album oh it very much it, it was yeah um they um, you know, especially coming from Detroit, you know, with, with stuff like Stooges and MC5 mm-hmm. and um, and the they were on a label called Sympathy for the Record Industry. Their first three albums were um, the self-titled uh, 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 De Style and White Blood Cells. And Sympathy is known for like the noise rock. And, uh, you know, like you mm-hmm. – Dead Leaves and the Dirty Ground was the first song I ever heard from the White Stripes. I, I've heard the name before, yeah. but I didn't, you know, I read the description of them and I'm like, I don't really, that doesn't sound like anything yeah. I'd want to listen to. But there was so much hype surrounding this record. And even like in this, when it was, when it even first came out on Sympathy, um, people were, it was just a buzz and uh, a frenzy. And I'm like, all right, I'll buy it. And yeah, and so for people who don't know, I used to be, I used to do a blog and a, a podcast called Audio Ammunition for ten years, where I reviewed records. And I can, at that point, at this point right now in my life, I can listen to the first five seconds of a song and tell whether or not I'm going to like the record. Right. And it, it and ninety five percent of the time, I'm right. Even from from the the production to you know the just whatever comes in that first the five seconds they're gonna go for yeah 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 and when I heard that I'm like oh this is gonna be good <laughs> this is why Jay right, can't get know? through any books either because he can tell he he has the same theory he has the same theory for everything a week ago he told me I can tell from the first five words of a book if I'm gonna like that book and if I don't I just close <laughs> it and I said I think you're judging a little too quickly sir. <laughs> I'm working on my people of, you know, vetting that way. Too. He's trying to get down to three words. And I said, well, <laughs> but yeah, I heard that. And I'm like, Oh, that's going to be good. You yeah. Know, from, from the, the production and that, that guitar and that distortion, even his voice, you know, it comes out kind of, kind of screechy. Yeah. You know, I'm like, Oh yeah. What am I where, fav- where have like, these guys been all my life? <laughs> it's not my favorite track on the album. I do love this track. I, I love a lot of the tracks on these albums. But I will say it has one of my uh, favorite small short lyrics. Um, uh, if you could hear a piano fall, you could hear me coming down the hall, <laughs> right? Um, or uh, and then and the, he follows it up later on in the song. He goes, "Any man with a microphone can tell you what they love the most." And I like this kind of like boast, you know, like this kind of like almost there. He's saying something about the sound. He's like, "Listen, 
anyone with a microphone can have an album can 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 do this right it's it's about like how you're how where it's coming from where is this coming from you know yeah he very i've heard him mention more than once that he likes the struggle of creativity he likes it when there's um opposition. when there's opposition when yeah when things when things go wrong when, mm. you know he was on this um it's really interesting uh, i don't know if it was a documentary but this thing this little movie called uh, it might get loud with um the edge yep. you've seen it mm-hmm. when he was sitting there saying i i, I like playing guitars are going to be a challenge yep. for me he to wants play to fight things like this yeah working. i don't think this guitar is going to make it through this song <laughs> yeah. and that's really interesting i think that um, that comes out um in in white stripes music yeah and it's it's a really it's almost a broad artistic choice it's it's you know art comes from opposition if it comes too easy then it's really you know like then you you haven't found it yet you know you know and if it comes easy then you gotta take it and before you put it out there you gotta put opposition in front of it um and and then see what comes out it's like sometimes whether you're you know using Photoshop to edit a photo like that was easy. You're like, well, maybe I didn't take it far enough. Maybe I, I, I didn't challenge myself. This could have been better, you know, and instead of resting on your loyal laurels, Jack White never seems to do uh, on here. I will say in listening to this album and then because I listened to this album, then I had to listen to some other, you know, revisit some other. Yeah. It's been a while since I listened to them. Um, this is in my top three favorite uh, uh, White Stripes albums. Uh, but oh yeah, over oh I like get behind Satan is probably my my favorite right now after kind of listening through them again. This is tied for like number two, but I will say my favorite White Stripe songs. I'm I'm gonna give you the tracks and you tell me what you think why you think I like uh, these songs. All right, here's a little challenge for you. No wrong answers, Jay. Okay, here are my favorite tracks in this album. Um, Little Room. Uh, okay. We are going to be friends, and I think I smell a rat. Okay, well, the rat one's obvious. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, jeez. I, I think, I think it's easier to find it by looking at uh, when you're in your little room, and uh, 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 um, it's kind of hard. I'm like, get in my head, Jay. You figure this out. I like... I, I was listening to it and I've dubbed them, um, what did I, uh, uh, Ring Around the Rosy songs. Uh, they're these kind of like short kid songs almost, okay, that yeah, he does yeah, in that. a way. And he, he has these on all his albums. Uh, you know, um, these, and especially I think that's why I like Get Behind Satan because it has more of those on there. Little ghost, little ghost, what I'm scared of most. Can you scare me up a little bit? And I love that he takes these almost ditties, these like almost like nursery rhyme, like, you know, like I call them Ring Around the Rosie songs, and just treats them like rock and roll. And, like, and then that comes in like, when you're in your little room and you're working on something. It sounds like something that you would sing to your kid like at night, like when they're like trying to do something like, it's time to clean up, Johnny, when you're in your little room <laughs> and you're working on something. They're like dancing around. They're picking up their toys, you know? I think he does that so well, and I love those types of songs. I, you know, when I first heard um, We're Going to Be Friends, 
it was so um it it was just it was so brilliant in its simplicity mm-hmm. i i i couldn't believe it was his mm-hmm. i'm like this is a cover this has to be an old it does. an old nursery rhyme or yeah. something that he tweaked or he re- it reminds but, you of an yeah. audio version of one of those like dick and jane stories golden book stories or some shit yeah. there, you know yeah i which which of the tracks do you think is most ghost world is what now oh oh okay um ooh. That's a good one. Maybe I'm finding it hard to be a gentleman. <laughs> yeah, that could be it. I think oh, I can tell we're gonna be friends. I can see that. I can see that playing well in the movie because it has that kind of antique simplicity to it that the girls seem to like in their music. Yeah, yeah, I see that. But yeah, this this record was. I mean, this is still one of my favorite records to to play all the way through. Um, I know we were talking about um, Nighthawks last time about how you have to listen to it. You, you know, you can't really put on a song here and there. It's like you, you put it from the first, you know, from side A and listen to it all the way through. This is kind of the same way for mm. me. It's hard for me just to, to nitpick some of these songs and, and not, cause you know, it, it's, I guess because, I've heard it so many times all the way through. I, I I'm ex- you know like when you when you hear a record so many times all the way through you, you you're already an- but before the the song ends you're already anticipating the, the next, next one. one yeah and and you almost just you almost need that you know and and that's kind of how this record is for me yeah you know it's any other it's good any other standout tracks or anything about this before uh, we start talking about our vinyl listening experience and. What? How? Where we think we are on the vinyl spectrum? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, for me, it, it's and granted, I, I I just want to preface this by saying I do like this whole record, but I think it it is a it's it's a little bit uh, front loaded. Yep, I was going to say the same um, thing, but I didn't want to offend you after you just gushed over. Like I listen to this from from top to bottom every time. I'm like, I get to the back side of it, and uh, I get a little bit worn down. Yeah, it starts. It starts to wind down. Yeah, um, which is really interesting. Um, but yeah, it, it is front loaded. Um, some of the the more raucous tunes are, are yeah. in the the whole the Hotel Yorba is a great one. It's got that like like almost honky tonk kind of like that Hotel Yorba. I'll be getting see you later. Oh, it's, it's for me that was. I heard so much of Hank Williams in this album that I'd never heard before listening to this. That I was going to say, yeah. 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 It sounds like a like a hey, like an good Appalachian folk what tune. you got cooking? How about cooking <laughs> something up with me? And again, it goes back to those kind of simple, simple childlike songs that we make rock and roll by how we're delivering them. You know, mm-hmm. like move it on over, move all over, skin it <laughs> like that type of stuff. Oh, we will be we will be doing a Hank Williams album sometime on this podcast. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah for yeah. sure. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, vinyl because I sat down and. As per our homework, per our set, I, I did pull out some vinyls and was kind of listening to them this this week and vinyl experience. How are you? How long have you been like listening to records on vinyl? Like on, like I said, I, I called it the vinyl spectrum of like the hardcore people who have like the amplifier, the tubes, the tube amps, the preamps that go into their sound system, and and you know like different needles for different things. Like how how deep into this vinyl world are you? 
I'm not deep in it at all. Yeah, I'm on the shallow end too. I'm on the shallow groove, oh. baby. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, like uh, you know, the older I get, the the more uh, convenience starts um, being a, a a bigger factor, and you know. Um, my my record collection used to be in the living room. Now it's mostly in my bedroom, and now it's um, in my closet. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, I listen to music when I can, and that that's usually you know on my phone with AirPods and or in the car. And you're doing something else. You know, it's the, yeah. the days of sitting down, putting plugging your headphones into your vinyl record, which is right next to your you know Barca lounger. And sitting there and low lighting and just listening to an album, those days are, for at least for people in their 30s and 40s, are, are harder and harder to find that time. And I don't even have kids or a wife. And I still found that listening to this week was fun because we are, we're in corona times and I have a little more time. But at some point, I'm like, oh, let me just like skip the song. <laughs> you know, like uh, that, that type of thing. Um, yeah, I agree. Like the vinyl experience... I, th- I think that's what vinyl offers to me, aside from the sound quality, which I just I, I don't have the ear to appreciate or the money to invest so that I can hear it because people are like, oh, vinyl sounds better. Yeah, if you have a $2,000 vinyl setup, you know, then it sounds great. But honestly, if you spend $2,000 on sound equipment, it doesn't really matter what its original form is. It's going to sound good coming through preamps and, and great speakers. Um but I, I get it. I, I'm not. I, I, I'm not pooing those people. I know they're right. I know if I was to visit someone's house and they had this, you know, if I was going to go to uh, Mark Maron's house, he's a big vinyl head. I'm sure, like all these albums, will sound so different coming from his setup. Um, but I think that that is an issue I have uh, with vinyl. But I think one of the things that I learned this week in just sitting listening to a couple hours of vinyls was that. We talked about this a little bit during the Nighthawks of the Diner uh, conversation. Is we, we call us the, the pop bonsai, right? We're trying to to delve into pop culture experiences, mm-hmm. and from the music side, listening to an album that is analog, you have to take it, you have to pull it out of its sleeve, you get to look at the, the 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 sleeve notes. You get to all the credits are on there. You place it on there. You put your record on there. You listen to the first side. You flip it over. You put it on there. You drop that needle. It does transcend. I'm just listening to it and moves more into I'm experiencing this album. And that to me is what I've enjoyed going back into vinyl these last couple of years since I redid kind of some vinyl stuff and started pulling them out again every now and then is really having an experience with an album than just listening to it. Yes, that's It's definitely something that is lost on, on the digital universe. I, I totally agree. And, and not just pulling it, but when you pull out and there's that distinct smell you know, and and you're listening to the music. You're holding the lyrics sheet. You know, you're looking at at the pictures of the band. You're reading the liner notes on the back cover. You know, it's a it's a total. Uh, it's a multi multi sensory yeah. immersion. Yeah, that that you can't. You just can't duplicate with, you know, I'm going to listen to, you know, 
this record while I go get the oil changed in my car yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever. You know? um, no, it, it, it's almost like, yeah, it's almost like that's that's part of youth, right? <laughs> you know, well, uh, one of the things that's that uh, sucks about vinyl is I like it because I don't have a whole bunch of vinyls, but when when I think about getting a vinyl, uh, I think about like an album that like I love or an album that I don't think I'm getting like that I think I'm missing something on by just listening to it on Spotify. Whereas like, well, if I spend the thirty five bucks for this album. Then I'm gonna sit down, and listen to it. I'm gonna put it on the thing, and I'm gonna make an an afternoon of it. And so it allows me to re- revisit albums that I really love uh, in a way that's more delicate, a little, a little way that's more personal, as you just said, uh, more immersive. So I like how it kind of forces you to do that. What I don't like is how vinyl is this crazy expensive hobby, and a lot of the albums that I want to listen to, I just can't afford. Yeah, it, it's become that, uh, all these reissues. And I don't know if it's because there's only so many pressing plants in the world. And now that all these major labels and indie labels are now competing for, uh, for a spot in these, in these plants, that's, that it's jacked up the price. Because, I mean, when, Back when I started listening to to, rec, to new records, I mean they were seven ninety nine, eight ninety nine, you know, no more than ten bucks ever, ever. Unless it was like a double LP, then it was like you know eleven ninety nine. Oh, you can go to Z, you can go to Zia Records and scoop up tons of vinyl for nothing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm talking about like yeah, brand new. Oh yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Like a like a new yeah. they release this simultaneously on CD and. Spotify and the uh, vinyl, yeah, yeah. But now you can, you know, all these new, you know, Metallica reissues on. It's on... the most prestige format that music can come in these days. You know, yeah. You know. And you know, it is expensive. It's I like mean, fucking you know... Steve Buscemi's fucking phone, man. It's like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. sometimes I feel like, dude, just, just, it's like you have a Spotify membership. Just listen to the album. <laughs> like, don't spend one hundred and fifty bucks on this. You know. 400 bucks, thousands of dollars sometimes for one album. It's crazy. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'll, you know, a few hundred bucks on like the Led Zeppelin box set, you know, or no, I just can't do it. So I thought we'd wind down. Uh, I pulled out the albums that I was listening to this week uh, on vinyl. So I'm going to quickly pop them up here for you. Uh, have you heard, uh, let's see if I can do this, Osmo Tantas? No. Oh, they're like this kind of weird kind of fusion of punk and uh it's like spanish or portuguese i don't i don't understand any of the lyrics but it's fantastic like there's this song minha uh minina minha minina i don't know do you speak spanish uh-huh yeah yeah is that spanish i don't <laughs> know but it's a really great. It feels 1970s. I'll send you a track uh, 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 of that to listen to. I think you're really going to dig it. I, I specifically listened to that album because I'm like, I thought that you would really dig that sound. And I try to vary it up. I listened to uh, Tribe Called uh, yeah, Tribe oh, no, Called Quest tr- and Midnight, Mar- Midnight Marauders. Now, yeah. Midnight Marauders is great. I don't have the vinyl system to make hip hop on vinyl sound great. Uh, this album opens up and the first groove tells you what to set your record to. When you listen really? to the vinyl of this Tribe album, it says, please set your record to this, is the optimum way to listen to this album. And it has, it's, it's, 
it's it's put into the track. I thought that was a cool way. And I, I didn't listen to many vinyls that that like that's how it's very Jack White. Like I want you to listen to it uh-huh. on the way it's supposed to be heard. So everything <laughs> was authentic <laughs> with that. Uh, Leon Bridges album. Let's see if we can do this right. Leon Bridges is, you know, it's a modern guy, but he has that kind of Motown sound that just comes mm-hmm. across on vinyl. This is my date record. You know, someone's coming oh. over. You have to be careful because it can come, it can come off as pretentious. But like, if like you're buying someone over and they open the door and you're cooking dinner and you got some Leon Bridges on the album, it's either going to play very well or they're going to think you're an asshole. A <laughs> uh, couple more, just a couple. Uh, Otis Redding. Um, oh yeah, Lonely Blue is a great album. Uh, these are all albums that I recommend for people who are getting into vinyl. I think these sound good on vinyl. Is like the optimal way to listen to them. And Otis all those Red- old soul stuff. Otis, is, yeah. Otis Redding, uh, Wilson Pickett, um, Al Green, the older Al Green yeah. stuff. Um, yeah, you, phenomenal. You, you can't you can't beat listening to. I think I think Motown is my favorite type of. Uh, uh, music to listen to on vinyl. It just feels like it was made for the, the format. Uh, yeah. I, then I tried it out a little little disco with the Ooh. Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, <laughs> double album, baby. Look at the ins- – I know it's a podcast, but just for Jay here. The insert of that. Look at that. That's just a fun yeah. experience. That's and then so finally, nice. I inherited my parents' vinyl collection. You know, my parents in their 70s, so, of course, they had vinyls. And they threw away a lot of them, but they kept some, and they kind of came to me. And these are some of the things I love about vinyl is you can find these old vinyls that were live sessions recorded at bars and weird places. This was from a band called the Blue Kangaroo. They were a local Hawaiian band, local pit uh, records. And I love these guys. They're kind of like tenacious like a, a folky tenacious d like in the 1960s and the songs are silly but they have that kind of childlike wonder and and they have it's all recorded live in the bar so you hear the audience and everything and i love it and those are some of the gems you can find in vinyl uh that if you're vinyl digging that you can find and, and just really enjoy and, and become even more hipstery <laughs> yeah no it it's it's fun and i here's the thing it's like I don't go to record stores as much as I would like, but I want them to still be around. Yeah. You know, I hate, it pains me to think that, that, uh, you know, that there may be a world coming, maybe even in my lifetime where nobody's going to care anymore. You know, same thing with comic book stores. You know, it's like, I, you know, I, I read a lot of digital comics, but I still try to go and get some physical books every now and again. Mm-hmm. But I, it pains me to think that, you know, that uh, of a world without comic book stores. Right. Well, you know? I mean, because then where do the girls from Ghost World go if there's no record stores? Like, what what's the playground for these misfits? And because that's an important yeah. age. It's an important stage in life, especially for certain people who aren't like... Have, haven't found themselves in sports who haven't found themselves if like they're churchgoers and they're just kind of out there and so they explore a lot personalities and, and kind of these weird kind of odd end roads and the record store was always the safe haven for the enids and uh and seymours of the world so yeah i think that's yeah. kind of what i learned from this experience with pairing these things together is there's an outsider quality to vinyl that when you really look at goes past the surface level pretentiousness of 
the whole vinyl experience. It's very easy, and I've done it. I've been that person to look at vinyl as this pretentious kind of hobbyist collector, you know, pseudo-intellectual thing. But, you know, from listening to White Blood Cells, which seems to be an album made for vinyl, from watching the tour of Third Man and hearing Jack White talk about vinyl, from watching Ghost World and and, and how much that culture of vinyl means to these characters... uh, I, I walked away from this uh, this uh, uh, set uh, of pop culture with a greater appreciation and a less judgmental um, view of vinyl. Yeah, I, I did too. And um, I, I love that setup he has um, in there, in that record store. It's so fascinating. Um, but, you know, you were saying about record collecting becoming kind of on the pretentious side. The thing that sometimes I, uh, that kind of creeps me out a little bit is uh, I try really hard to not be materialistic. Um, I, I always, that, 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 uh, that whole, that, that line in fight club, when he said the things that you own end up owning you. And that, that's so true. Like I start, I think about my house and if it went up in flames right now, what, what would be important to me? You know, um, I, I don't want it to be some stupid piece of plastic. You know, I, I just don't, it, that grosses me out that there, that there's a, a leash, you know, yeah. I don't want it to be, you know, comics. I don't want it to be, you know, that's why. I try to keep everything um, digital because I don't want to be tied down to those things. I don't want to be owned by those things. And that's where, where I try. That's right. I, I had to draw the line at some point for me personally. Yeah. That's the way of saying it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you get to see like the, like the Steve Buscemi character, you get to see what that happens. What's the outcome of that. He represents kind of like what happens when you tie your, your life to things uh, and what that takes your life. Yeah, right? and it's yeah. It, it is materialism in, yeah. in a form. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, I I, you know. it's just an intellectualized. It's just we've just just the same way that the that the art teacher in in the the ghost world um, defined art by the meaning you brought to it. It's like you know these kind of hobbyists, these collectors, these misfits. They attach meaning to these things that is beyond its physical presence. When you see in the Third Man records, when you see what a record is to begin with, it's just these little like crummy plastic dots that they melt <laughs> together. You're like, that's I'm not running into a fire for that. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> yeah. gonna uh, miss out on a on a great date because I'm at home listening to albums all night. You know. Yeah, yeah. Or I have to come home. You know, in my case, I have to come home and check the mailbox because it's you know 115 degrees inside the mailbox and if my record stays in there for more than like 3 hours yeah, yeah. It, it it reverts back That's to those little point. puddles of yeah yeah i didn't even think about that yeah arizona you got to you really got to catch those oh i've gotten i've i've forgotten about it or or labels have sent me records when i used to be without ammunition and i'm like how long has this been in here cuz i don't go to the mailbox it's one of those like communal mailboxes and, and Every day I get like two little like coupon, sure. you know, things. So I go maybe once a week. Yeah. And, and then sometimes I'll, there'll be a, a record and I'm like, holy crap. And yeah. I'll take it out. And it's all blue, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Pff, 
well, <laughs> there goes that. Well, speaking of there goes that, there goes our vinyl experience. I hope you guys were able to to jump on that set and view and listen to all those things. I think together it kind of makes for a powerful conversational package. I had a great time talking with you today, Jay, on this. And Likewise, so man. That is all the pop for today. We're going to catch you on the next pop wave, brothers and sisters. Banzai!